0: Have we aged out of geely jokes yet? Stay tuned and find out. In honor of at least one movie coming out this weekend, what's your favorite box office bomb?
1: I'm Katie Rich, and James O. Brooks How Do You Know isn't really a bomb, it's just totally forgotten. And it's not a great movie, but we need his brand of rom-coms, and Paul Rudd needs to star in them for the rest of the time.
0: Hey, it's me, Dave with the 7. I don't mind the 13th Warrior, but I didn't mind Need as a Dead either, because, hey, Viking history.
2: I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Green Lantern. Uh, It's not the greatest science fiction picture since Star Wars, A New Hope, (laughs) but it is pretty damn good, despite what everyone thinks. It's goofy. It's just fun. Come on, guys.
3: And I'm David Erlich, and I'm going to go with Sphere, because of all those lines that I can't remember right now about my name isn't Jerry or whatever the fuck Samuel his name is Jerry. (laughs) His name is Jerry. His name's not Harry. That rocked my world as a kid. I was like, oh, shit. It's not Harry
2: <laughs> Sphere. <laughs> what a movie! Sphere is the w- movie where I learned the word manifest. Manifest like, really interesting.
3: Also, like
1: on also a f- like entity. on a flight, or like manifest. No,
3: destiny? Like no, create. he
2: because the the alien manifests their nightmares, and I was oh. like, what does that mean? And then the jellyfish came to life, and I was like, oh, that's what it is. Queen Latifah kills Queen Latifah. <laughs> entity. Before Both there were Boggarts
1: and Harry Potter, there was.
2: A... <laughs> That guy. The manifesting Nightmares of Queen Latifah <laughs> is actually the name of my new book Gentlemen,
0: you can't fight in here This is the war room Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri Clear and plain and coming through fine I'm coming through fine too, eh?
3: Good, then Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine Good Well, it's good that you're fine, then And I'm fine I agree with you, it's great to be fine uh, It's, 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 it's a yeah. hot
1: Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 57 for Tuesday, February 3rd, 2015, the year of our time lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. Before we get started this week, David, I believe you found us a new review from iTunes.
3: Yes, we have one review this week from Rogue Knight 7 who says, Good show. I really enjoy the dynamic of the show. I don't see enough of the movies discussed as my time is limited very mysterious. But I enjoy listening to the discussion about those films. So my watch list grows, though I doubt I'll get to all of them. I think Joanna should be a permanent addition to the show. <laughs> I, I agree, but she's easier harder to pin down than you might think.
1: She's, she's got a busy schedule. She's busy, schedule, busy, that busy, one. busy, busy woman.
2: She has no time for us for no. movies. I'm glad this yeah, person if... has made time for our podcast, yes. but not movies. Thank you.
1: But is he going to watch Green Lantern? Mm, I don't
2: know. Kilowog, Tomar Ray, They're good pals. <laughs> Why would you? Sorry, not want David. To just...
1: is, is, is that is that review over?
3: Yes, that review is inter-
1: Okay, I didn't know if we had interrupted him just to start listing off Free Lantern Corps members.
3: MoGo! the Sundance Film Festival now people who know me and maybe those who've been listening to the show for a while know that I, uh, I had certain feelings about the Sundance Film Festival there was a, a good reason that this was the first time that I'd ever gone um, and it wasn't just because I finally found someone to pay for my trip it was because I had a, a complicated relationship with Sundance culture and the kind you of thought it was like crap there you thought it was crap.
1: you thought it was nothing but terrible movies not
3: necessarily Over-hyped. but i the hype certainly has a lot to do with it buzz it's a festival that is uh you know the, the more important than any other in shaping the the discourse of independent cinema in the the course of the year to come um especially as it pertains to american cinema um they seem to have a uh, not not to be totally engaged with what's happening in the world foreign cinema stuff even though there's world competitions were mostly uh the high profile stuff was really holdovers from previous festivals that played in the spotlight section anyway um enough beasts of the southern wilds and fruit fail stations and whiplashes and movies that i think uh, were a lot of hot air that i finally decided to go and see for myself what this was all about to vet these movies in person to make sure that the ones that uh that were raved and ranted about were done so with good cause, and we had a segment the other day in the last episode where we um, we discussed some of the highlights and lowlights of Sundance, and so I think that's already well-tread territory. I was, totally <laughs> although fine when we were with, recording it at 3 a.m. in the morning, I'm not yes. sure what we if it made any <laughs> sense, but Godspeed. This is true uh, as someone tweeted at us we all sounded drunk and only one of us was one of us was high so please um, oh this is a fun guessing be. game uh no we were Don't. all i think quite <laughs> candid about this. uh anyway uh i was i was happy that or happy enough at least that me and Daryl and the dying girl won and that the diary of a teenage girl did not um but i would like to have a broader conversation that we can bring in people who didn't go to the festival because i think this is a. Uh, open to everybody, uh, as to uh, what Sundance is, what it means, what it represents, what its place in our in our culture is, because I think I have a slightly renewed... I mean, I had an amazing time. It's, I've been open about that. Um, I saw a lot of good movies. I saw a lot of bad movies. A lot of those bad movies sold for very large f- amounts um and a lot of those good movies did not and uh that's not Sundance's fault necessarily but it, it's a little more complicated than that but that's part of what I want this conversation to be about um and uh, Patches you've been going for a long time and I'm wondering to start off if you feel like the festival or what it accomplishes or what it aims to accomplish has changed at all during the years you've been going
2: what it's aimed to accomplish um I don't think the aim has changed. I think the types of voices and the types of movies that are in the fest have kind of rapidly evolved. We certainly see more polished films because of what technology allows independent filmmakers to do. And, uh, you know, higher-budgeted independent films now make their way into the competition uh, slate. You know, I'm always amazed how awful some of the competition films can be. (laughs) The opening film that you and I saw nearly killed us on day the one. Bronze. The movie The Bronze is comedy. But here's-
3: Here's something from really a, From a Big
2: Bang Theory <laughs> Which actress. sold
1: for a good amount of money. Yeah, no, well, it definitely
3: uh, did. Patches just raised uh, a, a, a lot of interesting things. One of them, about the bronze, one tidbit that I learned is that the filmmakers of this god-awful movie reportedly turned down $5 million from Netflix in favor of a $3 million deal from Relativity because they wanted their film to play in theaters. Ooh, this is what well, I wanted
1: to talk yes, about. Yes, that's it's really gorgeous
3: cinematography, must be seen on the <laughs> big screen. Well, it's a hideous movie that's going to be a nightmare no matter where you watch it. But what's interesting about it is that it repositions creators as potentially the unlikely saviors of a theatrical experience, which is really interesting and something that Sundance, more than any other festival, um, is in a position to confront. Another is what Pat just talked about, the technology. We saw a movie called Tangerine by Sean Baker uh, that was shot on iPhone 5 S's with anamorphic lenses and looked amazing. Um, but It looked, it looked, it it looked that, like Slumdog Millionaire on the streets of L.A. It was yeah. really cool. But do you think Patches, And this again also open to Katie and Dave that it's about the technology that's making these films look better and better, and not the fact that Big Bang Theory stars with no talent are populating the uh, the festival roster. That the the definition of indie, like you see a film like Dope, for example, like the Tangerine, that film shot on an iPhone, uh, is a, is a genuine. Indie, but it was executive produced by the Duplass brothers. The Bronze uh, came from a lot of money. I mean, like, are these films crowding out the the true indies?
1: I mean, mm. the sense is that there's so plenty of true indies that make their way in there. Like, I uh, I haven't seen anything at Sundance, but I did a feature beforehand on the people who are behind the uh, documentary Maru. I don't know if either of you guys saw that. Mm-hmm. About the uh, no, but it won not. big. Yeah, it won like the audience award or one of them, um, yep. and they you know put this movie together off of nothing that they had a cool climbing documentary. Like I, I think Sundance really goes out of its way to still include those movies. It's just the bronze and the stuff produced by the Duplass brothers that you know winds up getting sold and getting all the headlines, mm-hmm. and that I don't I don't know that that's changed a lot in the last at least five years since I've been paying well, attention to Sundance.
2: Yeah, the five years I've been going have. I think the first or second year was when they created the next category, which mm-hmm. is low, low budget films. And uh, it's it, awesome. it doesn't. Re- it has a very amorphous explanation for why it needs to exist, and I have a love-hate relationship with the fact that it does because these are the independent films, these are the scrappy, strange movies that should be getting all sorts of awards at the end of the day and, and conversations swirling around them. They're always the most interesting, um, but they're it's kind really of funny into the next category.
3: When I saw uh Sebastian Silva's Nasty Baby, he, he made Sebastian Silva made Crystal Fairy and Magic Magic a few years ago. Uh he introduced the film at The Egyptian saying how funny it was that he was in the next category because this was his fifth movie at Sundance and he right. joked that he should be in the previous the previous category, which uh got a mild murmur from the crowd, but mm-hmm. I appreciated what he was saying. Um yeah, <laughs> the next the next category is not you know, the name would suggest that it's about these up-and-coming talents, but really it's about these movies that um, are not going to sell to Fox Searchlight for $12 million. Right. And that is where – I think that's something that Sundance does to be all things you know that it wants to be simultaneously because the, the spirit of Sundance as it originally was is still very alive in those movies. But they also have this thriving marketplace that exists in the, in the competition.
2: Right. Well, the, uh, one of our favorite movies, I think I can speak for you on this, Entertainment from Rick yeah. Alverson would play in the next category. And this is a movie that, I mean, it will sell because there are famous people in it. And uh, Greg Turkington's character, Neil Hamburger, has a very strong Twitter follower <laughs> following. So someone will buy it just to attract those people. But this is not easily marketed. I don't know how you put this movie out and make tons of money. Um, but you can put the movie out and make some money. And I think that's key, you know. At the festival, I saw so much murmuring on Twitter from people back home who were like, Why would you ever go to Sundance? You know, these people are standing in line to see movies that are going to be out on VOD, never to be seen again for like three days, you know, at, at the end of the year. I find that so obnoxious because, number one, yeah, so what if they're on VOD? Does that mean they're bad? Does that mean, I mean, I should be shining light on these films and they will come out and people can see them. You should concentrate on Sundance coverage and people should be you know screaming from the top of deer mountain or whatever it's called in park city to to tell people about these films Deer mountain. i i don't know deer, deer, valley. Valley, deer valley deer valley whatever the opposite uh, of them. mount everest um you know these movies will find a place i mean there's so many platforms so many and so many movies were bought this year so so what if they're like little movies that a lot of people won't see i don't understand how that would undermine uh the the attempt or or undervalue them playing to audiences at Sundance and then carried to VOD platforms. It just doesn't make sense to me. And the other thing I wanted to say was that this year I got to go to the um, New Frontier exhibit, which they have every year for more experimental films. But this year it was really filled with virtual reality experiences, um, which I had it was a real pleasure to engage with these Kind of experimental films. I, I I'm hard pressed to call them films or games. They're really their own beasts, these virtual reality environments, and there's real directorial choices being made in these experiences. And I, I couldn't believe the stories being told in, in this way. There was a, a wild um spin-off where you got to see Reese Witherspoon walking around the woods, and there were some interesting choices made there. But there was also a like a rape simulator where you saw two what? sides of a party and you were the both the man in one part of it and the and the woman in another. And it was c- completely terrifying and immersive and empathetic. You know, that's the key to virtual reality. I think these are empathy machines, a totally different experience for Sundance and something that I see emerging as the next category did for these really small micro budget films. I see virtual reality having its own category. It's Sundance someday. So it seems like there's so much going on at Sundance. You can't ignore
3: it. Yeah, uh, well, I think we still we still have a little bit of time, so... Wait, I wanted uh, to hear what...
1: from Dave. Dave, you yeah. didn't go either this year. Do you think Sundance matters?
0: Um, I'm more happy that it sounds like we got out of the period we were in a few years ago where it seemed like, you know, like Kickstarter-flooded films were going to match the sort of groomed for Sundance films and sort of give us a wash where we didn't get anything good. I feel like that at some point that was a real danger. But, like, I'm coming from... Like, I remember lusting after seeing Sundance movies like really early on in my film-loving career just Mm -hmm. because it was like part of that... part of the way something could get like a cult buzz when it still was hard to, to get a hold of everything. So even though I'm very happy that we're seeing like these movies that are going to be released in VOD and probably a lot more of these are going to be accessible to people uh, if they search them out, I'm, I'm, I am I'm think coverage needs to exist, I guess, to sort of speak to Patch's point, because we need to create those little cult waves. We need to know what we're looking for later on in the year. And so primarily for me as somebody who doesn't attend, it's watching all you guys debate about it and trying to come up with uh, flags further down the year that I have to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, and you guys have done a really good job of... I mean, even the me and Earl and the Dying Girl uh, buzz that came from none other than David Ehrlich makes me interested in this movie that I think a lot of people would otherwise be (laughs) like, all right, here's another Fault in Our Stars. This is going to be really boring. I still haven't quite wrapped my head around how it's going to be as good as you guys say it's going to be, but that's a... That's part I didn't of
2: the get fun. To see it. I'm sad because you're right. David lost his shit for it in terms I, of David's yeah. own quality <laughs> control <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> on the on the sliding David's scale, he, it was I, a, David scale. David seemed so frustrated
1: with himself that he liked it. Like I could tell, David was not an easy sell on this movie at all. A day
2: spent in our hotel, just like in the corner, sweating, and David couldn't handle it. it was...
3: Could not. Alright, so for our mini-segment tonight, piggybacking off the Sundance Segment 1, I went away to Sundance with Patches. We saw 40-some-odd movies and came back, and you guys are still talking about the same fucking Oscar movies. It's so bizarre, because it feels like we just saw the whole next year of indie cinema, Uh, and here we are back in time... Like Groundhog Day or something, still talking about Birdman and uh and Selma Snubs. And Selma Snubs, it's so weird. And I know this is a old conversation, uh and it's clear that we have the Oscars when they are so that these films can uh do what the Oscars are there for, which is make money off of them so they can have that window between the nominations and the actual category and the actual award ceremony. Um but is there any argument that could be made, whether out of financial gain or, uh, or just for your own enjoyment, for the Oscars to be in the first week of January, to close the, the voting on December 31st, have the Oscars right away, and then gracefully enter the, the New Year film?
1: I would do that only if it meant that people were required to release their movies not in the last few weeks of December, which is the way it works now, which makes it pretty much impossible for even people who are paid to watch movies like us to see everything, much less the, uh, you know, random retired production designers who vote on the Oscars. Uh, the way that it's set up now that's, like, basically impossible and everyone needs that window, and then that and people like my mom finally catching up and seeing Birdman. It's the, the same reason. Um, so, I enjoy the season too much to let that happen, Even and I didn't go to Sundance, and I'm not already looking at the future, unlike some lucky people. So, no, keep the Oscars where they are. <laughs> that, was long, that was a long sentence. Oh, yeah,
0: I, I guess I'll go. Uh, I don't really care where they put it overall in terms of my enjoyment, which ultimately what should be served by a televised broadcast of people patting themselves on the back. So I see the argument of what Katie's saying, and although, uh, I mean, I'm also tired of talking about the same movies. Uh, I often forget doing this podcast and having the friends that I do that the majority of the movie watching public is months behind us, and uh, I'm experiencing that now that I've moved. And like, if I want to talk about stuff, I, I'm gonna have to wait. I'm gonna have to wait till it comes comes here to the middle of America.
2: Yeah, yeah, I stick think...
1: up for the people.
2: I think that's key. I mean, people just do not have time to see these movies and this Oscar conversation allows them to not feel behind or feel pressured and they can still be part of the the fun of Oscar season. Yes, it can be fun. I do think that um it could probably be more spread out. Like why are the Independent Spirit Awards the day before the Oscars? That's just nonsense, right? Um that's like, just always them... been their
1: counter programming move. I
2: stop counter program though, right? Like kind of tease these things out. So. I mean, the
1: Gotham Awards are in early December.
2: Right. That's obnoxious, too. Like, these could what? be positioned better. Hang on. Better.
1: Make your choice. Which one do you
2: want? No, I'm saying, like, put them from January to the end of February so that we can have this kind of steady stream of award shows But that that award different movies. You know, the Independent Spirits are not going to award the same things as the Gothams, are not going to award the same things as the Golden Globes. Maybe we need an, a, a, a comedy show, too. You know, just comedy. Like, it could be more interesting. Just include more movies in in the award season, and you'd have a better time. Uh, and the, well, That's I, kind I, of
1: what the... Uh, oh, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say that I read an interesting article from Adam Sternberg on Vulture the other day that wondered what would... It would be more exciting if we didn't know the nominees of the Oscars until the day yeah. off. Yeah, Which I think I'd would do. be yeah. really fun. Um, it wouldn't narrow things down, and we could keep playing. I don't know. That that sounds more fun. Or just, yeah, throw more curveballs in the award season. And I also wonder if you know i i wish we could actually talk about the oscars at sundance because it's almost an inevitable conversation at this point when so many uh, sundance movies wind up in the oscar you know, top 10 or the best picture categories. But you can't because I will slap you. I know you will, but the reason you get angry about it is because we're still talking about this year's Oscars afterward. If they were somehow positioned around there, we wouldn't get so angry about it. The Oscar season would be over. So that's my counterpoint to my own argument about why the Oscars need to be late. (laughs) If they were only early, we could start talking about next year's Oscars. Woo! Woo!
1: That's, that's an interesting idea. My only counterpoint was going to be the uh, Critics' Choice Awards, which is uh, a group that I'm a member of and I make fun of sometimes. But they do have, like, <laughs> Best Female in an Action Movie, Best Comedy Star. They have kind of nonsense awards that also gave, you know, Emily Blunt a chance to get an award for Edge of Tomorrow. So there's a little bit of that variety out there, although I agree. Uh, if we're going to have more award shows and a longer award season, let's have a better variety of awards.
0: I want Patches to start the Laffy's.
2: <laughs> it'll just be me laughing for 90 minutes
0: <laughs> that's a ward <laughs> enough in itself <laughs> Amadeus, Amadeus.
1: <wins>. every year <laughs> Amadeus, Amadeus.
0: Oh. time to tune in watch Patches give awards to Amadeus again <laughs> <laughs>
3: Sundance trifecta kind of, of segments or things that are... This released. was only
0: Sundance for you, from what I understand. Yeah, this is,
3: this is
1: David's Sundance-addled brain makes
0: a podcast. Right,
3: but that's that's what this episode is all about, and my Sundance-addled brain and the things that spin from it. Uh, I had a most unusual experience at Sundance. I saw a very unsundancy movie. Uh, it was the secret screening, and uh, although it, it seemed certain what it was going to be before the lights went down... Uh, when I went through the effort of getting a ticket, it was less so. But, uh, one way or the other, I did end up seeing Jupiter Ascending at Sundance at the Egyptian Theater, which is the same place where we saw all these crazy Sundance movies. It was very discombobulating. Uh, and I think when this episode goes live, uh, the embargo will still not be up. So I, uh, am verboten to talk about what I thought about Jupiter Ascending, but that's okay because what I want to talk about is original science fiction. Uh, both of the big-budget, like Jupiter's Ending variety, and the independent variety. And that's something that the Wachowskis straddle really well, because something like Cloud Atlas was a very, very expensive movie, but it was also independently financed. Um, and anyway, I, watching this movie, one way or the other, and you can infer my opinion on it from this, and if you do, that's on you, uh, I thought a lot about the end of original Big budget science fiction, and whether or not it has, I don't has, want this
2: to sound like I'm giving my opinion on the movie. But science fiction, as we know it, is dead. Is
3: over. <laughs> it, it might be. Uh, wh- wh- I, I think even if this movie develops a cult following in the years to come, like Speed Racer deservedly did, um, this is going to be tough. The Wachowskis have made a, l- a number of bombs in a row, and I think Jupiter's Ending is, is going to perform. Uh, Very poorly at the box office. And, um, uh, you know, if I'm wrong, it'll be, I won't be disappointed in that. I'll be very interested. But uh, that's just what I see happening. Um, And while people tend to speak as though this is sort of a, a golden age or a silver age at least for science fiction in the movie theaters what with star wars returning and the, all the geek movies and whatnot and people going nuts about having a quote space opera in the form of uh guardians of the galaxy and which is not a space opera by any stretch of the imagination because it's a marvel movie and marvel movies can only be one thing but uh Jupiter's ascending is indeed a That's space opera words. Uh, no all, all Marvel movies are Marvel movies and nothing else but Dave is doing uh, that cartoon
2: character thing where his I, entire face turns red and Steve I is know out. Uh,
3: but, tease up but uh, I it, it just made me think about whether or not we have uh, – th- there is a place for these expensive movies or if smaller indie sci-fi movies, going back to Primer and last year Coherence um, and even things like uh, Predestination. I'm just naming things that come off the top of my head now. Uh, I wonder if Z for Zachariah, which we saw at Sundance would qualify. Um, you know, if, if that is really the only future for original science fiction. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Dave, Start well, right. start with you? Yeah. yeah,
1: actually, let Dave
3: talk first. Well, this is
0: interesting, because Project Almanac yeah, nosedived trying to do pop science was, fiction for the team. Was that
3: a totally original idea? Uh, now, obviously, it wasn't it an original who idea. It you're asking. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it... Was it original property?
0: It, yeah, it wasn't, like, based on a comic book of that story, but wow, in terms I- of original
3: idea...
1: That title made it sound so based off oh, of and, the comic Oh, and I should,
3: I should note that Z for Zachariah, like a lot of the films we saw at Sundance, even at this most independent of film festivals, is based on a pre-existing novel, the rights to which were bought for a tidy sum of money. So I would say that even that is not truly original sci-fi.
0: Right. I mean, I think that my best hope for original sci-fi this year is Tomorrowland, which is like super Disney, but that's not necessarily bad. I mean, are there have been good sci-fi worlds that i've liked uh in the past few years i don't uh like a a good example is like real steel great world that i really enjoyed being in it just didn't tell a story that i was totally hooked into so i can't call it like something that i really enjoyed but when you see stuff like that or when i see stuff like that manifest in film it's like you know the, the the foundation is solid so like With the Wachowskis trying something like Jupiter Ascending, which is sort of like this sci-fi fantasy, it looks epic. So I'm going to call it a sci-fi fantasy epic. You know, I'd rather those still be attempted by people of the Wachowskis caliber than they just be relegated to, you know, independent movies. Because the nice thing about this genre is if you have a lot of money to throw at it, you could literally put anything on screen. But you don't need a lot of money to throw at it to put everything on screen. Yeah,
1: you, um, you would think the ca- that
2: the... Oh, I'm sorry. Go, Katie.
1: Uh, the argument I was going to make was hearkening uh, back to a podcast that Dave and I did way back in the very early days of this podcast when uh, Source Code and Limitless were both uh, out in new hits and we were calling it the uh, the spring of original sci-fi because it really seemed like this moment. And they weren't big budget. They were very moderately budgeted and it kind of seemed like for a minute that level of sci-fi you know, costing the same as something like walk among the tombstones is a recent example um and i'm not really sure what's gone on with any of that since then except that they're making limitless into a tv show now so maybe your answer is somewhere in there that's uh it's all going to cbs
2: Hmm. Uh, Jesus (laughs) I didn't think this was gonna get so dire Um, yeah it's a dystopian sci-fi
1: podcast you know
2: speaking kind of of source code I just keep going back to moon and like how gorgeous moon looks well depending on, on how you feel about that movie um but just like what uh, Duncan Jones was able to achieve on a minimal budget that still feels pretty expansive and otherworldly, I mean, uh, practical effects and miniatures, why, why don't we see more of this? Is there just not the ambition to do that in the indie world or like we see so many special effects sh- driven short films, but we never see that really pay off In the feature world, Uh, except unless you're Iron Sky, which has Nazis flying around the moon, which isn't that interesting. But I guess it's a start towards like indie space operas or indie uh, expansive sci-fi. I don't know.
3: And whatever happened to the guy from Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow? I was wondering the same (laughs) thing. I mean, I've been uh, thinking of this World of Tomorrow a lot recently just because of the Don Hertzfeld short, but uh, it's a tenuous connection at best. But He was uh, going to
2: try and make a John Carter movie produced by our colleague Harry Knowles, uh, oh and God. that did not work out. Can we not call him our <laughs> colleague?
1: Come on. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, he's also
2: on the internet. Well,
1: well, We're that's... having this entire conversation pretending that Interstellar didn't exist. I mean, that was okay. not that long ago, and that movie made a lot of money.
3: Well, that's that's a really But it's good not inspiring
2: it's, anyone, I don't think.
3: It Well, then that's but that's a really good segue to what I wanted to talk about in for the Wachowskis, which is that here the Wachowskis are unabashedly huge sci-fi fans that are delivering even something like Speed Racer, which I think uh would be a huge stretch to call a sci-fi movie. It still kind of feels like one. Its it, residue feels like a sci-fi movie. Cloud Atlas, uh, Cloud Atlas absolutely and Jupiter Ascending uh Beyond absolutely. But all of these movies bomb and uh the people that finance big original sci-fi films and of course Cloud Atlas was an adaptation um Jupiter Ascending is a, is an original film um they they look at the numbers that pull are pulled in by these movies and they think why should i fund a movie like this and and it makes me wonder if uh, sort of counterproductively the zeal that the wachowskis show for these making these movies in fact they continue to cash in on their dwindling hollywood cachet to make them is actually bad for big budget sci-fi films if we should be going with more moderate films of the source code variety and really just applauding those and 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 uh, lo- allowing the jupiter ascendings of the world to bomb
2: but who is Jupiter sending, like, what business is that destroying? Because you're suggesting that we won't ever get past the middle ground. Are you saying that it's infringing upon the middle ground? We'll only have, like, indie science fiction at a certain point if Jupiter's sendings of the world keep bombing? And let yeah. us not forget that Avatar is the highest grossing movie of This in is the true. Time. This is
3: all true. It's just, i there's think... two more coming. And there's a big disparity. I mean, yeah, these are these are infrequent movies. I mean, we talk about Avatar, which came out in 2009, uh, and we're talking about sequels, which are going to come out in what, 2017. I mean, these are uh, long gaps between landmarks. But at the same time, there is a disparity between the uh, feeling of what's happening out there and, and the facts of it. But I think. Um, I don't think it's a minority opinion to say that it feels like we're not getting a steady dose of of good big budget original sci-fi that we just chalk it all up to the Star Wars and the Marvels and say it like It just seems like know. we're
2: on the verge of seizing this and taking it back from gigantic budgets, right? The answer isn't that we're going to lose enormous sci-fi forever. It's that technology will soon enable kids in their backyard to make the next avatar it just seems very plausible to me. You know, I was watching, um, fantastic voyage the other night on Netflix, which is a really corny movie. Um, but it just reminds me how, uh Rarely, w- the movies take us to different places besides space. Like that feels like a really expansive science fiction movie, a real trip. Um, but it's in the body, right? Or I, I you know, wasn't
1: at- David Fincher going to remake that at one point? Or am I just thinking of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea?
2: No, I think no, you're right. But James Cameron was also involved with a
1: fantastic oh, yeah.
2: remake at some point. I just there's so many options for people to make these kind of enormous science fiction movies that don't need to really be enormous. They just have to trick us into thinking it by taking us somewhere crazy, and it's. It's on yeah, our well, fingertips.
1: And don't forget that District 9 is not that long ago either. It's the same year as Avatar. And that movie, you know, was not made for nothing, but it was made for significantly less than Avatar. Now we have and Chappie. Came... Well, yeah. So that movie's coming out. And it's another. I mean, that movie looks completely absurd. And I can't even figure out why. Like, I'm not sure why I look at Chappie and roll my eyes and I was intrigued by District 9. Um, but why it's Why do it's you not look working. at
2: Chappie the wrong way? I'm Chappie.
1: So you can tell me why Chappie isn't working. But work. it is it is a studio making moderately budget I mean I mean making sci fi on a large ish budget that's original. It's I mean it's what we're asking for. It just doesn't look very good.
0: It's interesting because it's like I, I guess it's like Duncan Jones and Neil Blomkamp. You could center the things that we're defining as good around directors, not around genre, right?
1: Well, th- Neil Blomkamp <laughs> made one good original sci-fi movie. And then well, but he keeps movies, trying know, at it, and they and keep funding him.
0: So, yeah. I mean, that's ultimately what we're looking... Because, I mean, in terms of, like, o- original versus, you know, adapted or whatever, that's the problem that every genre is going to have moving forward, um, just as blockbuster filmmaking gets more ridiculous. But in terms of, like, mid-budget sci-fi movies, I don't know. I think we get peppered with... a good few of them every every once in a while we also nice. get a
2: lot of them in video games now and i mean mass effect we have to take that into consideration i think that we, we, we can be offered these in a different way and that yeah well the movies the per- have to respond like jupiter sending to pack every single piece of iconography into one crazy ass movie and it bloats you know it's too much perhaps
0: I mean, maybe, but I mean, Jupiter Ascending is also a sci-fi fantasy movie, which gives it basically like Hobbit problems if it chooses to world build that way. But what you were talking, what you're talking about,
2: Hobbit problems?
0: Yeah, Hobbit problems. There's a lot. (laughs) Uh, 112 again. Um, I, it's like the the thing I was saying before. Oh fuck, I lost it in thinking about Hobbit problems. Um, Was
3: your brain wiped? by yeah. aliens like in jupiter ascending where they're just literally they just hey, go fucking hey don't, fuck don't, it, spo- all don't spoil-
1: come on david david don't spoil this movie that
3: that, that, that is not
0: a spoiler oh, literally okay. no one <laughs> hearing the
1: sound of your voice has seen this movie oh,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up and that way I also cut out jupiter ascending spoilers there you um, go. going back to what i was There's saying about like nothing <laughs>
3: okay okay go on
0: Going back to what I was saying earlier about liking story worlds, I think what Patches is saying about video games is sort of evidenced in that, where in terms of like science fiction and being able to play around in it, I've found other things that sort of scratch that itch that don't require there be a source code every two months. And then there's stuff like Black Mirror that we were talking about, mm-hmm. there's intelligent, well-produced sci-fi, it just happens to be on Netflix. What oh, if there I
3: were know. a source code every eight minutes? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: that sounds like source code too code? Uh, really, company? we just need a new Mars attacks, yeah, what what <laughs> <laughs> I think you we could up? all agree no i'm just I'm just sitting here thinking like all the all the movies are the same you you can do big budget sci fi just make them different, right I don't know, make them funny or make them scary or. Well, all of that, these—that's why I
0: was moaning when David said Marvel movies are just Marvel movies. Then why are we even having this conversation? Like, then sci-fi movies are just going to be sci-fi movies, and what's right. the point? Of even wait, di- no, you know
1: that's different. Marvel movie versus sci-fi movie—that's a much very. That's a very different. That's a genre versus a brand.
0: Yeah, but no, At I don't think point. so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like if, right okay. now, Marvel well, movies
1: have a very specific brand. Now, eventually, they'll get bigger than that.
0: Right, right, but like. Uh, Alright, I'm just clicking around box office mojo. There isn't a general sci-fi category. There are sci-fi slash category, sci-fi Ooh. horror, sci-fi thriller, sci-fi action. That's exactly like a Marvel movie. I mean, what are we saying is the definition of science fiction? If Jupiter Ascending is science fiction and Moon is science fiction, like one of those is taking place in a realer world than the other.
1: Yeah, sci-fi is a super broad category. That's what I think is interesting about it. And that's why I think Marvel movie is a very different term because it's right now, it, on in terms of feature films, it means something very specific.
0: Which is what? Which
1: is all these movies that are connected in the same universe and, and employing essentially the same house style that we complain about all the time.
0: I mean, fair enough. The house style's loosening, but I would have said like movie with a CGI third act with a whole bunch of flying pieces.
1: And, and like... a uh, large spaceship hovering over a city threatening to destroy it. That's the
3: the determining factor. Is there a large spaceship hovering over a city, threatening to destroy it? If so...
1: It is a Marvel movie.
3: It is sci-fi. Actually, that's (laughs) the
2: plot of the next Michael Haneke
3: film, so... (laughs) Excuse me. The next Michael Haneke film is called Flash Mob, and uh, it's going to be scarier than you could possibly imagine. of you
0: guys see or like Skyline? No. I saw Scott,
3: Skyline, the the terrible movie about when people staring into their phones and aliens attack.
0: Well, staring out the window of their L.A. apartments because they could CGI that easily.
3: Yeah, that's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. My yeah, girlfriend, well intentioned, like, I with can appreciate I
0: what it's doing. Very well intentioned, and the ending is very ambitious for what uh, the, that movie could have been. The ending
3: is sick. I will, and I don't say that like cool. Although I kind of <laughs> say that like cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's sick. <laughs>
0: But, I mean, is, is, isn't that what we're asking for or what we're looking for? Is it a mid-budgeted movie that looks like a high-budgeted movie? But isn't... I don't
2: think we're asking for Skyline. Let it be clear that I'm not asking for <laughs> Skyline. But I do think that Skyline is the future. It is what, yeah. what creative people will be able to do with this technology if they please. The problem is it seems like there's a divide between filmmakers, right? The people who are obsessed with these effects and spend every – waking moment in their dark basement concocting these effects i have just characterized these people horribly and they are going to they're going to be so angry they are all listening. yeah um, professionals yeah. You, just, you just yeah exactly people w- who have this craft who have this knowledge of special effects they're they're divided from a lot of these kind of story-driven filmmakers you see it in their short films you really do uh, and this is not a swing at either people because what people can do in the, in the short space uh, with special effects techniques is, is astounding. It really is. But you don't see them converging very often, and you wish you would. And uh, when it, bring it back to That's- Sundance, you don't see it on that scale either. Uh, maybe at South by you do, but not at Sundance.
1: Maybe that's what we need the Roger Corman School for—is to bring all these burgeoning filmmakers into this. You do. Like, Where do you find like, the next James like, Cameron? Like here's your giant rubber octopus. Figure out how to make a movie about it. And now you're we'll absolutely you
2: correct it. about that because the guy who di- uh, directed Safety Not Guaranteed is not the guy to direct a gigantic monster movie. Oh, uh, I it, did not
1: bring Colin Trevorrow in. I did. Man,
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, that Super Bowl trailer—it looks awful. The, the special Awful. effects, the CG dinosaurs—I'm so pissed off. This is a total tangent, Awful. but no, I, I had to open this can of worms. I allow
3: it. It the, looks so horrible, and I really this.
2: want this movie to be good. I'm just pissed, I, and I hate safety not guaranteed. This is a whole other, whole nother wow. discussion. We're really this just is grinding some axes now. We should I mean, have
0: because I think you guys are still being too harsh on dinosaur CG.
2: I'm well. I, I also
3: want no, a dinosaur if it movie was better. Twenty-one years ago, twenty-two years ago, I know. And yes, we're allowed to be harsh on it. I'm
1: still pretty into the idea.
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it was better. (laughs) It's rose-colored glasses. No, it was better. And I'm with patches at the very idea of hiring the guy who made safety not guaranteed to take over a franchise as still read as Jurassic Park is just a slap in the face and I will happily (laughs) eat my words if this movie is good. Let
2: the man who made Sharknado direct the next Jurassic Park.
3: That is the reason why I had uh, animosity towards Sundance going into it and uh, the fact that I haven't seen all of these people's Jurassic worlds yet I've just seen their good stuff um, is why I'm so high on the festival right now so but, what we're
1: saying is we should but, send and, Colin Trevorrow so, to work for Roger Corman, and then to wrap
3: things up, yes. as they point, <laughs> to wrap things up as they pointed out at the uh, Jupiter Ascending screening at Sundance, the Wachowski's <laughs> first movie, Bound, premiered at Sundance, uh, and look how far we've come.
1: Wow. Mm. So all the people making Bound now are the ones who are going to make the ambitious sci-fi. Of I tomorrow. wish someone Apparently. would
0: make Bound. What about Kanye West's Bound Two? <laughs> who Probably.
2: directed that? Kanye West? Did he? <laughs> no, no,
1: probably
2: not. <laughs> Kanye West should direct a big budget science fiction movie. I would see that. I
1: heartbeat. would. I would absolutely see that.
0: Well, did you see the Runaway film? Anyway, another sidetrack. Yeah, I mean,
3: Runaway from me, baby. Yeah, run and then
0: away. Michael Jackson's head run explodes run at the end. It's whoa, <laughs> cool. I well, I mean, he'd, he'd recently died. It was in memorial. The, the aliens in
2: Kanye's sci-fi movie should be Kim's butt. <laughs>
1: Wow. Ken's <laughs> <Kim's> butt <laughs> jokes. Never never you know, now that you're an Esquire, that's all you can talk about.
2: Guy stuff. <laughs>
1: That does it for today's Fighting in the war Room. We'll be back to review Jupiter Ascending, which we swear to God, David is not going to spoil in its entirety.
2: I'm excited for it.
1: I'm so excited. I have not seen it as we record this. I'm
2: into the I'm Channing ears, the elf ears.
1: I'm in I, Eddie Redmayne I, I, as an evil uh, space lord. I mean, what Walking better way wizards. to earn your you guys, Oscar than all that? I,
3: all I can say is that I was so excited for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so. But oh, no man. opinions yet. Embargoed. No, I, embargoed. I, no, that's an... The fact that I was excited for this movie is not an embargoed opinion.
1: Um anyway, we'll be back with that review. In the meantime, tell the people who you are.
2: I am Matt Patches and I am the senior writer of esquire.com. Woo! Yay, this week, yes, I have a job. Oh my god. Uh finally. <laughs> Uh, Everyone write in
1: with your instructions to him on how to wear a tie to work.
2: Yeah, I am the schlubbiest man at Esquire.com officially now. And uh, I hopefully will be you'll be reading me there eventually soon. Hopefully. Uh, And remember, uh, Fighting in the War Room has a website as well. Fightinginthewarroom.com. We post all the episodes. You can leave comments, reactions, leave questions, share the episodes. Everything is possible on fightinginthewarroom.com.
3: Wow, it's hard to top that, where everything is possible, including having a new job, but uh, (laughs) I am David Ehrlich, I am the associate film editor of Time Out New York, and the editor at large of Little White Lies Magazine, Um, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich, at Time Out US Film, at Criterion Corner, Uh, every Twitter account is actually me, uh, especially that real Banksy account, so sorry (laughs) about that, Um, anyway something that is also me is uh, and the rest of us together is the fighting in the war room facebook page where you can get in touch with us and we will get in touch with you but it will be very pleasant
0: it, it will yeah it usually is uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name, TA70. That's also my Twitter handle. I write about superhero movie news and star Wars and Latino dot review.com. And Oh, I just like almost screwed up my entire spiel, but didn't franchises, mega franchises at Forbes.com. And I also do a podcast called the thought bubble. It's in this very feed. You might be getting it. It is a Q and a question and answer podcast. That's what those things stand for about comic books. You could also find it at Batman V Superman, enter the night.com or in fighting in the war Room.com.
1: And I am Katie Rich. I am the Hollywood editor of VanityFair.com. I've realized that all of us are now representing some kind of print media, which is really strange. We'll save it yet. Whoever would guess that would have happened. Um, You you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. You can also find the entire podcast on Twitter. At F-I-T-W-R, where you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was...
0: In honor of one of the movies opening this weekend, what's your favorite box office bomb?
1: Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday.